You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Michael, I was wondering, how do you plan lessons? How do you put put your lessons together? That's a good question, Dan. It's partially looking at the content that I'm, yeah, what I'm covering. It's looking at like the skills that I want to address. And then sometimes it's looking at like the standards that my state puts together. It's not like a process where I go to one first or the other first. It kind of all kind of happens organically. Sometimes I liken it to like a a witch's brew that I'm just Mm. kind of like mixing stuff in here and a little bit of dazzle just for good measure. How about yourself? When you, uh, when you plan lessons, what are you, what are you looking at? Or what are you thinking about? You know, when I, especially when I taught high school, when I taught social studies classes, um, you know, obviously I had to teach kind of whatever content was required, but I always did try to keep the citizenship focus in the back of my mind and and think about, you know, how would my students, like, why is this this relevant for my students' civic life? And I, I tried to keep that focus always there so that it helped me make sure our curriculum was relevant. Um, and sometimes that was that was easier, and sometimes I was teaching a bureaucracy unit in AP government, and it was a little harder <laughs> to help make those connections, but I worked at it. So um, luckily today, we have a guest who I think can really help all of us, especially those of us in the social studies, think about how we can construct curriculum and lessons that make sense. And so I'd like to welcome Kathy Swan to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Kathy, can you start off by telling us a little bit about um, your background in education? Sure. I was born in a small town in Maryland. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I um, sort of, I was born in Maryland, Um, but I actually started my working life as a bank examiner for the FDIC, and I was horrible at that. I think it's probably why the banks failed. And um, on, on one night, after three years of doing that, um, I just sort of had a road to Damascus moment where I decided to be a teacher. Um, so I went back and, and got my degree and then ended up teaching for seven glorious years, uh, three of which were at an international school overseas, and um, the other four were back in the States. Um, and at the end of that um, time, I was just starting to feel the itch um, of wanting to go back and get my doctorate in education and work with future teachers and and to really um, do what I love, which is curriculum work. And so uh, I went back to the great University of Virginia and did my PhD. And then I've been here at the University of Kentucky uh, for 12 years. Um, so I just got my uh, full professorship uh, last oh, year. Congratulations. Actually. So, so Yeah. What did you teach when you when you were in the classroom? Well, um, I taught a variety of things. Um, one of the things that I taught uh, was economics. That was my background. So I taught IB, uh, International Baccalaureate Economics, for about five years, uh, along with AP U.S. History, for the most part, a little bit of 20th century history, and then 
my favorite year, when I first graduated my, my teacher ed program, I was sort of snobby. Um, I wanted to only teach 12th grade because I thought that's really where the only teaching took place. <laughs> and I did, of course. I followed my bliss. But then when I moved to Virginia, there was a sixth grade position open. And I took that position. And it ended up being my most favorite year. Um, I love sixth graders. I love fifth, sixth, seventh middle schoolers. It turns out that was my age group that I loved the most. And I ended up teaching sort of an ELA, social studies, kind of world history thing that year. That's awesome. Yeah. Kathy, I was going to ask you. So when you were teaching, did you feel like you had standards and um, resources to help you kind of construct your curriculum? Or did you, or did you kind of fly by the seat of your pants like a lot of teachers do? Well, that's a, it's a good question. I mean, you know, I taught back in the day where we didn't really have standards mm. or that we cared about standards. It's sort of different than today where standards, there's kind of this larger standards conversation. You know, teaching IB and AP, you definitely paid attention to those sets of standards. But in terms of resources, there just wasn't a lot other than, at least from what I remember, other than the textbook. Um, and I think that's where I kind of grew to love curriculum writing because that was kind of part and parcel of the job. Whereas, you know, I work with new teachers. I realized sort of what a unique gift uh, curriculum writing is now. Um, and many of my students, um, their expectation is to be given curriculum. And for good reason. There's a lot of great curriculum out there. So um, I, I tend with my new teachers to do what I call quilting. Uh, where I have them quilt together existing curriculum that's out there. But back in the day when, um, you know, I had to hike five miles barefoot to school, <laughs> there, was no, there weren't a lot of resources out there. I will say that I remember loving the DBQ project. Mm -hmm. um, that, was, that was around back when dinosaurs roamed the earth. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, certainly I used a lot of DBQs from AP. But other than that, there just really wasn't, at least from what I remember, a lot of resources uh, like there is sort of today. Today we're talking about standards and one particular type of standards, the C3 frameworks, which I hear you have kind of a hand in, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in my house, um, we, have, we have times where we say no one can use the letter C or the number three for like three days <laughs> because C3 is, is so much a part of our lives here. In fact, one, of the, one time that C3, the C3 cover was up on my computer screen and my, my son, who was six at the time, said, hey, I know that book. <laughs> I've read that book. And I'm like, yes, you have, um, sadly, at six years old. So, yeah, <laughs> so I served as the lead writer and project director of the C3 Framework Project. And that started about five, six years ago. It was published in 2013, Constitution Day, September 2013. Um, and uh, in some ways, that was the end. And in many ways, that was the beginning of a lot of great work that I feel like I've been, had a chance uh, to do over the last a couple of years. So just to, for any of our listeners, can you tell us what is the C3 framework? Sure. So the C3 framework is um, our Jerry Maguire mission statement in social studies. Um, so I often thought of that movie 
of him, you know, subsequently getting fired. <laughs> but before, right before he did that, sort of writing a manifesto um, about social studies. And, and so I, I, I had one, um, I gave this presentation one time and I referred to it as a manifesto. And there was a little old lady in the back row who came up to me afterwards who said, you shouldn't call it a manifesto. <laughs> You know, assuming that, you know, people would make bad connotations with that. But, you know, that notwithstanding, I I really see it as a sort of mission statement um, for social studies. Um, It involved, and it was certainly not me um, who just wrote it. Um, I should talk a little bit maybe about the process. When the Common Core hit the center stage um, a few years ago, it did us a service in some ways by mentioning history and social studies. It did not do us a service by really usurping the foundations, the civic mission of social studies and really foregrounding literacy um, rather than, I think, what most social studies teachers think that we, that is our primary mission in social studies. And so, which is the content skills and sort of civic mission of, of the work we do. And so, you know, like many times in our history of social studies, um, people were upset by the marginalization of our field. And so I was working with a group of states um, through the Council of Chief State School Officers. I'm still working with that group of states, 25 departments of education. And then NCSS was working with 15 professional organizations. And for listeners that are old enough to remember the Reese's peanut butter commercial of the 70s, I feel like in some ways we were, you know, kind of colliding in a corner and the chocolate met the peanut butter. And um, and so these states and this uh, task force of professional organizations joined forces to build this greater document, this mission statement about social studies. And along the way, we realized that we needed needed an academic writing team. And so I was the chair of that 17-person writing team that included economists, geographers, um, political scientists, civics folks, um, and historians, um, along with people like me, teacher educators. So S.G. Grant and John Lee, who are my, my primary partners in crime, really worked to create this document that we call the C3 framework. And I should also say teachers were involved. We had a group of 50 teachers that we called the Teacher Collaborative Council that reviewed drafts. And so for about three years, we worked on um, drafts that went through those various um, coalitions, the coalition of the willing, I like to call it, uh, between state departments of ed, professional organizations, teachers, and then academics um, to finally September 2013, uh, where we created, um, I think, a document that sits alongside the Common Core ELA mathematics standards, along with the Next Generation Science standards to really direct not only social study standards at the state level, but also sort of the larger mission of social studies. Um, If you had to ask me, if you were going to ask me what the purpose of that document was, um, I really see the purpose of that. The primary purpose, obviously, was to guide state standards, but I think probably the, the larger ethos of the document was much greater, and that was to um, make sure that social studies wasn't usurped um, or further marginalized by other content areas, either intentionally or unintentionally, and sort of a rallying point for social studies teachers. 
So it's called the C3 Frameworks. There are four dimensions of it, uh, multiple disciplinary concepts, civics, economics, and geography and history. So there seems like there's a lot of four, but yet it's called the C3 Frameworks. Yeah, so the C3 stands for College Career and Civic Ready. Um, so College Career and Civic framework for social studies state standards. So really what we were trying to signal um, was the outcomes um, of a good social studies education is preparation for college, preparation for career, and then obviously preparation for civic life. Um, and before you ask me this, uh, which you might, why didn't civic come first? Well, it was more a certain kind of like alliteration and mm -hmm. sound, like civic college and career just didn't flow like college career and civic life. So we crescendoed into civic life. And um, so that's where we get the name. Um, the infrastructure of the document is built around what we call the inquiry arc, which is made up four dimensions. Well, and so for our listeners, I think a lot of people are unaware, and I know I was unaware as a social studies teacher really until I started reading about the history of the field that, you know, the social studies has had kind of a long battle to to have the civic citizenship purpose be the core of the field because a lot of people have been fine historically with just deferring to the disciplines, right? You just learn history for history's sake. Um, but the social studies to me has always meant that you learn history for citizenship's sake. Is that kind of a fair way of saying that the, that's part, one of your goals was to keep that civic mission throughout studying disciplinary knowledge? Absolutely. I mean, we that that very tension that you mentioned, Dan, existed in 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 this large group who developed um, the C three framework. I call that your Thunderdome, where we sort of <laughs> fought out. Um, you know, the tensions of the document. And one of the greatest tensions was that tension between the disciplinary thinking, um, you know, and uh, the folks that really champion the disciplines and those that really see the larger purpose or outcome of the disciplines being this civic mission, um, the thing that binds the disciplines together. And so you can see what ultimately won was both in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we talk a lot about one of the tenets of the document being disciplinary integrity, that that was really important. And we see that in dimension two. But the reason that we're not STEM or PEG, you know, an acronym is because we have this binding kind of purpose around um, the civic mission of social studies. So we kept social studies because it signaled that these disciplines are held together by a more important glue. Um, so, so I think what we tried to do is preserve, you know, appease sort of the both ends, both ends of social studies, but to really, you know, sort of value and to continue to value um, what those disciplines do together um, rather than um, emphasizing their kind of individuality. I, again, I credit you for going into the Thunderdome and taking this on because I can't imagine and being in a room with historians and economists who are also embedded within their fields and trying to come up with compromise of how, as a social studies field, do we have all of these disciplines existing? Um, I'm sure that was very difficult. Could you, could you walk us through the inquiry arc, those four steps of the inquiry arc? 
Yeah. The, the inquiry arc is made up of four dimensions. Uh, the first dimension um, is developing questions um, and planning investigations. And it, it's where inquiry begins, right, is mm -hmm. with a good question. In dimension one, uh, we talk about two different kinds of questions. We talk about compelling questions and supporting questions. In social studies, we're known for our supporting questions. Um, supporting questions certainly have a purpose, but what we tried to do in this document is anchor inquiry in the larger compelling questions in which the supporting questions do just that, which is support the investigation of the larger question. Can you give an example of supporting and compelling questions? Absolutely. So we made a big decision. Here was another big decision point to not call them essential questions, but compelling questions. So one of the things that was very important in the ARC of the social studies covenant. Um, I have lots of names <laughs> for things, keeps me going. Um, but in the arc of the social studies covenant, we, we talk about um, compelling questions um, having agency, meaning that students have agency within the arc. Um, essential questions are often questions that teachers design um, to frame curriculum. Compelling questions um, may be designed with te by teachers, but they're designed with the student in mind so that they have two characteristics. One is that they're intellectually rigorous, just like essential questions, but they have this other quality to them, that they're kid-friendly or relevant to students. So an example of that, um, can words lead to war? That's an example of a great compelling question. So, you know, that question can frame a lot of different time periods. Um, uh, can, it, can, it can frame civics issues. Um, but what we like about that question is it's not thicketed in a lot of jargon. Um, kids can understand not only the words in the question and hold it in their heads, but it's also quite relevant to them. So that when we think about words leading to war, kids can completely tap into that. Um, how many times on the playground have kids batted around words that hurt? And so it's taking this um, very, what, what happens to be, I think, for a lot of children, if not all children, a personal experience and grafting it on to larger ideas in the field um, mm. and that we experience um, it, it, in, in, in the newspaper let's say. So, so that was really important for us is to not only um, uh, create agency for students within the ARC, um, but to also begin the ARC where we think inquiry happens, which is wrestling with a compelling question and allowing supporting questions to, so to sort of sustain or post hole an inquiry. And we define that both of those things in dimension one. And so then dimension two, you've already talked a little bit about, right? Applying discipline disciplinary concepts and tools? Yep. So d dimension two is where the precious disciplines reside. And we put them in alphabetical order, civics, economics, geography, and history, um, alongside one another, where we define both the concepts and the tools, the habits of mind within those disciplines that help to um, animate and, and further the kind of questioning um, that we do in dimension one. It's important to note um, that another sort of controversy in the work is the, what some perceive to be the subordination of the social and behavioral sciences, specifically psychology, anthropology, 
and um, sociology. Those um, groups we worked with, um, but those disciplines exist in the appendices of the C3 framework. And it was a tough, it was a tough decision to make. Um, but we were in this kind of era of fewer, higher, clearer. Um, and also uh, feedback from the states really told us that those subjects are integrated K-8, taught maybe as elective in 9-12. And so we made the decision to go with a kind of four core in Dimension 2. So then D- Dimension 3 consists of what? So Dimension 3 is all about source work. Um, So gathering sources, evaluating sources, and making claims with evidence. And Dimension 3 most parallels the Common Core ELA standards, but it's in this space that students play with the plethora, the kind of variety of disciplinary sources um, that really um, become the building blocks for the disciplines. Um, So they gather those resources using a variety of tools. They evaluate those sources and that ultimately we're moving students towards making claims with evidence using that source work. So Dimension 3 is is very much in the literacy wheelhouse, but certainly from a social studies perspective where we're not just decoding sources, but we're asking sort of the larger contextual and purpose questions of a source. And Dimension 4 uh, is communicating conclusions and taking informed actions. How does that, what does that look like? So dimension four is where the magic happens. Um, this is where we, um, this is where students um, communicate their conclusions to an inquiry. So they've worked with the question, they've consulted with the disciplines, um, they've marshaled evidence in support of their answers. And finally, they have a chance to bring those answers together in either arguments or explanations. Um, and that they can communicate those arguments and explanations in a variety of different ways. So um, we really wanted to not narrow the ways in which um, kids communicate these arguments, but really open them up to a variety of modalities and to a variety of different audiences. Um, And so that students are having a chance to um, communicate their knowledge um, through podcasts like the one that we're on um, right now in terms of um, written arguments, in terms of oral arguments, and that teachers aren't afraid to have students present to other students, to people in the community, to parents, etc. And then lastly, taking informed action, which was you know, kind of the last great fight um, of the document. Um, I think good prevailed and we were able to keep it in, but taking informed action as a space within the document that we felt very strongly um, ties to obviously that civic mission um, of the document where students um, use classroom experiences as staging ground um, to practice their civic life. Um, and we um, it created a sort of structure in Dimension 4 around taking informed action, that that action would be informed. So students are understanding a problem, assessing um, the possible solutions to that problem, and then and only then acting um, in that space. And so we see the civic outcomes of the document, not just in terms of this action piece, but also in terms of the dimension. 
Good citizens know how to ask good questions. Good citizens know things. Good citizens can marshal evidence in support of their answers. And good citizens know how to communicate those answers in really powerful ways. And that ultimately, good citizens do something. Um, they mm -hmm. act um, in, in, in a variety of different ways uh, on the civic stage. I, I had no idea that there's so much like backstory to these. And I feel like after listening to it, um, wow, it seems like it really was a Thunderdome. And um, I think the document is all the better for it. Yeah, I might not be. But yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> there, I mean, as you can see, you know, it's, it's hard to get. I think what I'm most proud of, and you didn't ask me this question of the document, is how elegantly simple it is. Um, one of the things that we really wanted to do was not create a 400-page document that had everything and everything that was ever written about social studies, but we wanted four clear dimensions that really encompassed all of what we think of um, when we think of social studies, or maybe the most important points. But to get to that level of um, elegance, there's, there's a lot of backstory in each one of those. Um, just even what should come first, dimension two or dimension one, meaning should the disciplines come before questions? Um, sh should students know something before they ask questions? And again, it's, you know, sort of a fine point, but we felt that inquiry has to begin with a question that often that social studies teachers, um, feel like they have to preload so much information before students are wrestling with a problem. So that's just another example of a little sort of big tension that had to be worked out in this, in this larger group. Well, I really do appreciate um, the, the way the inquiry arc is designed because I think it does have many of the components of a good social studies lesson, especially the ending, the part we usually forget, which is the students actually doing some kind of citizenship work that it's not just about talking about this in the class, but there's stuff we can do in the world and, and, and students are capable. Um, so if, if a teacher is looking to start to implement and use C3 more in their school, um, in their classroom, what resources uh, are out there that they can access that can help them do that? Well, I'm glad you asked that, Dan. Um, so um, my colleagues, S.G. Grant and John Lee and I, um, have spent the last couple years thinking about that. It's, it's one thing to write a high-minded standards document. Um, I often refer to it as elf on the shelf for those of you <laughs> who, who are parents that use that device at the holiday time. You know, where what I didn't want is a document that sort of is a great manifesto or mission statement, but ultimately just judges teachers. Like I wanted, uh, we wanted an ability to broker that document into kind of a curricular language for teachers. So the last couple of years, we've worked um, with a bunch of different states, but primarily uh, with the New York Department of Education, where we got a $3 million grant to, to begin thinking about um, um, what does the uh, C3 curriculum look like? And so out of that work, we developed um, what we call the inquiry design model or IDM. 
Um, you can find 84 of these IDM inquiries on our website, c3teachers.org, um, along with an inquiry generator and um, some videos about IDM. Um, but essentially, IDM is a one-page um, blueprint um, document that outlines the questions, the tasks, and the sources um, that students encounter during an inquiry. And so um, it, that blueprint is uh, the foundation of it is the C3 framework. So we think about the questions being dimension one, uh, the compelling and the supporting questions that sort of frame an inquiry, uh, the tasks that um, students are moving towards in dimension three and dimension four, which include making claims, developing arguments, and then taking informed action. And then uh, the sources being really the building blocks of the disciplines. Um, so those kind of in the guts, what I call the guts of the inquiry, um, that help students build toward thoughtful and evidence-based arguments. Um, so we're pretty happy about this project. It's, it seems to be um, taking off. Teachers really like the economy of the blueprint. One of the things that was really important for us as we see curriculum projects come and go is that we didn't want it to be overly prescriptive. Mm -hmm. um, like the inquiry arc, we wanted it to be simply elegant, but to trust teacher's expertise um, when it comes to implementing curriculum. So the idea is less is more, um, but that the less is what it needs to be, which is the core um, uh, in the most important parts of curriculum design, which we see as the questions, tasks, and sources that, that students encounter. Um, so, Kathy, where can people, is there others? So we've got uh, c3teachers.org, and we'll make sure to get that in our show notes. Is there other places um, our listeners can find your work or any other relevant resources online? Um, well, that's pretty much the mothership um, okay. for my work. Um, what I'd also like to say is we're having an institute this summer. It's our second annual institute. Last year it was in New York. Uh, this year it's in uh, Lexington, Kentucky, my hometown. Uh, we already have 150 people signed up from 20 different states across the, the this great country. Um, so we're, we're pretty excited about that. Registration's still open. We would love, we don't have a Texas person um, mm -hmm. yet. Um, Texas teachers or districts or um, uh, teacher educators. So we would love to have um, some folks from Texas join us sure. um, at the Institute. And you can find all of that information on C3 Teachers. All right. And we'll make sure to get that in our show notes too. So just thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for all the work you've done for the social studies field. And, you know, we hope to continue these discussions online and, and in other spaces. And if you haven't already, Subscribe to Visions of Education on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you write us a five-star review, then we'll read it on the air. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Deep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast signing off. <laughs>